Hey, how's it going? I'm Nick, and I'm your host on the Echo Academy podcast, a podcast dedicated to uncovering helpful tools and strategies that help make your quality of life at work better. Today's episode, however, shifts away our focus from the main theme of the podcast. We decided to keep it casual today. As the decade comes to a close, I decided to sit down with my close friend Rory to discuss the books that made an impact on us this decade. Now, before we continue on with the podcast, I just want to wish each and every one of you a very Merry Christmas and a wonderful 2020. May the new year bring your hopes and dreams into fruition. But from the things that defined you in the decade, in the last decade, to the books that defined you in the last decade, what's uh? And we can go back and forth, lah. I mean, we, you don't have to tell me all your books at one shot, but we can just share. Okay. Um, tell me about a book that, uh, because I mean, before this, we prepared like three, three books that that affected or, or had a big impact in our in our decade. Uh, what's one example for you? Um, the first one I have is um, A Short History of Southeast Asia by Peter Church. Um, You're such a nerd. <laughs> I mean, um, like, <laughs> people be giving self-help examples, business examples. You're like, oh, the brief history of Southeast well, I mean, Asia. I, I, like, I was lazy to read the whole history, so I just picked up a book that was a brief history. Yeah. Um, true millennial fashion. <laughs> I don't have time for yeah. that shit. Man. I need it brief. <laughs> <laughs> a one pager is what I need. Spark uh, notes. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I like, like, I, I didn't really, I, I didn't really know why I picked up the book. I, th- I think it was just something I just want, was interested to know because having lived in in Singapore most of my life, there's still, I still feel like as well, I, I, I don't really know Southeast Asia that well. Um, I, I visited so many places, so many amazing places in like Vietnam, in, in Indonesia, and and um, Vietnam Malaysia. where you built the church. <laughs> <laughs> Our listeners won't get it, but it's an internal joke. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and, and and I mean, like, I'm not really a big history guy, but like, I'm big, I'm big politics. Person, I, 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 do, I do love like reading about politics, and um, and especially, and, I, and at the time I was living in Australia, and, and I felt like you know, this, 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 this I, I'm missing something about Asia. Uh, I feel like so I need to know more about Asia, so that's why I kind of picked up the book, and and it, it was it was really really a great introduction into sort of how actually diverse and 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 amazing the. Southeast Asia is, I mean, like the history, like thousands of years, um, people have been living in Southeast Asia, and it's just developed so much, and also been held back by like colonialism and and wars and things like that. Um, I I think just like one example is like Cambodia, who has who is such who has had, who has such a incredibly tragic history of just constant war, um, and just constant. Um, just terrible things happen to it. Um, but but it it started out as being sort of this uh really peaceful place for like Buddhism and 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 religion and you know Angkor Wat and all the stuff that was sort of built in that time. But it has just it, it's such a such a tragic history. Uh, and so that, that that's like one example. But in just the whole sort of region is 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 so diverse. And if you compare that as a region to to Europe, which which is so much more advanced, um, so much more better interconnected, like Southeast Asia is kind of like lacking that. And so it was, it was sort of just good to see one of the few things that sort of takes Southeast Asia, or, or just puts Southeast Asia together. Um, yeah. 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 I rem- um, I actually went on a mission trip to Cambodia when I was in university. Um, did you know that? Yeah, I, I didn't know that. And uh, so basically, we you know we went to this uh, 
this uh, Khmer Rouge uh, concentration camp or the prison camp. I mean, the uh, the Khmer Rouge equivalent to Auschwitz, I suppose. Yep. Um, you know, we went in and, you know, we saw all the, you know, the horrible atrocities, you know, the torture chambers and um, the prison cells, etc. And first of all, the prison cells, they're not even, they weren't even as big as a toilet cubicle. So if I, if I was captured and they put me in there, I couldn't fit in there, just by the way. Mm. So that was their version of a prison cell. It was so small you couldn't even move. So like, and and it was funny because after we came out of that 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 place, uh, there was a guy. There was this old man selling a selling books, um, just outside outside the camp, uh, the concentration camp. And you know, we just happened to see what the, what the book was, uh, what the book was. You know, because we thought you know it seems like just a tourist gimmick. And we saw the book and it was it was written by the guy who was selling it. And this guy was one of the POWs in that concentration camp. And essentially every day for the past 30 years back then, um, 30 years since since when I actually went there, he he's basically faced the concentration camp selling his book about his experience. And like for me that was that was a really interesting interesting experience for me because some people just have incredible resilience to be able to stare their 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 the demons of their past mm. and you know f- and uh, and feel desensitized to it, you know. They'll just be like, hey here's my experience, read my book. You know, whereas if it was me, I don't know if I could just look at a place where I spent, you know, a good part of a decade stuck in a in a in a prison cell no bigger than a cubicle. So, so that was that was my most ex- ex- memorable experience in Cambodia. But I suppose maybe he just wanted people to know as well. Of you know, yeah, you can go there and see the conditions. That would that 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 was that were there, but you know, I guess the personal stories as well is not something you can sort of not easily so, so easy to communicate through through the museum or yeah. or whatever. No, so so yeah, I agree. It's just that the idea that he would be the one to sell it himself, mm. you know, right in front of the concentration mm. camp to me was just be amazing. Mm. But back to your book, like what, like what was particularly defining or 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 influential about it that you know that you felt like it was one of the book of books of the decade for you um like i think it was just more of an educational um experience for me reading that book because i think there's a lot of um potential in southeast asia you know i just think there's there's, there's so much of of energy and 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 um enthusiasm and um, ambition in southeast asia um, because it's, it's been such a poor part of the world for for a very long time, um, and I'm just sort of excited about what Southeast Asia can sort of, or the growth of Southeast Asia over the next few decades. Um, yeah, I must say, technology but, has really democratized yeah. opportunity. Huh? I mean, like Southeast Asia is known for being unequal in terms of income and power mm. for a long time. Yeah. Even pre pre colonization and then after post colonization, right? Like income inequality and um, power inequality was so so mm. apparent. Mm. But now with technology, people will just be starting businesses. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, it's a good time to be in Southeast Asia. I would say, good opportunity. Yeah, and 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 there's just yeah, just so much of of energy in. In business, in arts, in in music, in um, culture, tourism, you know, there's there, there, there's just so much to to experience in Southeast Asia, and and I just wanted to just sort of understand the region more, and that's why I read that book, and I don't regret it at all. Right. So, so you read it. You read it just to get back to your roots, uh, Just I guess get some yeah. perspective on culture. Yeah. 
yeah and 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 and, and, and history and um and what makes this sort of place in the world so special i suppose right um an example an example of a book for me that and i read this in my first year in university um but i read it by accident you know it's like one of those books where you i don't know whether i was at the airport or i at I was just walking in the bookshop. I just wanted to get a book, and I just happened to 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 come across this book. Um, the title is pretty long, but it's um, so I always have to look it up. But the title of the book is "Some We Love, Some We Hate, Some We Eat." Why it's so hard to think straight about animals? <laughs> uh, but okay, so essentially, it's essentially well. It's uh, written by this guy named Hal Herzog. Okay. <laughs> Bear with me, it gets better. <laughs> but basically, like, he he just explores why we think so differently about different animals. Like, why we are so infatuated about... Um, why we are so infatuated about dogs. Why we are so comfortable about killing pigs for food. You know, and why we, we scream when we see a rat. Mm. You know? When technically they are all animals, and yet somehow we formed our own notions of, uh, we we've we've drawn the sand in the lines, for the lines in the sand. Yeah, the lines. <laughs> the, the lines in the sand. Sorry, the lines in the sand of, of like, you know how we should view certain animals, and mm. and so for me that was that was it was really interesting, you know, I, just by the fact that it made me realize like perspective is you know it's 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 such a it's such an illusion so to speak you know because like we uh, in in a sense that we we base a lot of our our moral our moral standards based on you know all these perceptions you know we're like mm-hmm. hey you know let's not kill uh, dolphins let's not kill um Let's not kill whales, etc. And yet we're like, all right, cows to the slaughterhouse, you know. And not that I'm condoning killing uh, whales or you know uh, rare species, etc. But you know that perspective helped me think, you know, that we're 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 so. I mean, we're so happy to mutilate some animals, and and you know, and then we on the other side of the fence, we're like, you know, screaming bloody murder when someone kills you know mm. an animal that we love so that was a really interesting book for me but did but did it i mean the way we treat animals has been sort of evolving or we, we we've sort of done we have a track record over thousands of years with animals and sort of we sort of, i guess we have sort of picked which are the ones which are okay to eat and which are the ones are okay to be our friends and which are the ones we should leave alone did the book like talk about um, it did. Uh, I can't quite remember. I mean, because mm. it's a long time since I read that book. Uh, but one one thing I did notice is that um, um, he 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 did talk about it, and he said like you know a lot of it is you know where we where we were born, our gen our generational heritage and stuff like that, right? So for example, like in this part of the world in the east, you know, we have absolutely no problem in some places to eat crickets, snakes, uh, even dogs, right? Mm. But you know, in like our Western counterparts will be like, "What is going on in this country?" <laughs> so, so, and then he says, like, you know, and that's the difference, right? And then, who is to say who is right here? It's just you know, evolution and time that has that has created a way that we look at certain animals in a certain way. Mm. And yet we have no problem saying like that's immoral, that's not the standard, etc., mm. etc. Et so for me that was like a really eye-opening book because it's such a simple, it's such a simple way to, to explain people's perspective and how they form their own moral standards based on, you know, animals is such a simple example to use. But was the book so the the book was more of a study of humans rather than about animals like but they go beyond animals and just to explain sort of human psychology or not really no what i got from it at least was he didn't try to 
to prove a point or anything. He was just stating matter-of-factly. Mm. Like, this is why we see certain animals in this way. This is why we see certain animals uh, in a different way, right? Because, for example, a dog gives you companionship. A cockroach doesn't give you companionship, uh, you know. But in, in so, like, we'll, we will never see a cockroach in that same way <laughs> that we would see a dog. And it's also, it looks disgusting, right? But, you know, if we were objectively thinking, both of them serve a purpose, you know, in in the whole hierarchy of the food chain or in the in the whole hierarchy of you know how we how we are as mm-hmm. an intercon- interconnected world right uh, uh, the more the more roaches we see is because the more disgusting disgusting we've become right the mm-hmm. more trash we've collected and stuff and so they are actually if anything helping us solve a problem that we are creating so in objectively speaking there's there shouldn't be there shouldn't be really any distinction but because a dog feeds into our emotional well-being for example mm-hmm. you know it gives us companionship it gives us love you know unconditional love in fact sometimes that we see it in a different light and that's why we love it and we hate a rat or a, or a cockroach so he he wasn't like going into like human psychology or anything okay. but just stating certain facts that we 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 might gloss over so do you do you have any thoughts about treating animals differently or are you a vegetarian now or like what's no, do you I'm think a, you've changed <laughs> i'm a true bloom a meat eater <laughs> okay. you know i don't think any of that has changed but i think in terms of respecting respecting our ancestry in some way you know, like there are certain things, you know, like for example, when I'm in, when I, when I was in Africa, when I was in the Serengeti, I saw firsthand examples of poaching, mm-hmm. you know, and that, I mean, for, for me, I don't think there's any moral gray area here. You know, you're just killing it for, for a task mm. that is, that has some perceived value that is not even really objectively true. Mm-hmm. So like for me, like, I feel that it's inherently wrong. But then you can also understand, you know, what poor people would do for money. Because even though the rich people control the ivory trade and mm-hmm. and, the, and the poaching of, you know, all those rare animals, it's the poor people who will do the dirty work because they'll do anything for money. Yeah. So you can kind of see you're always in a dilemma. There's, it's mm-hmm. very hard to, it's very hard to take away the human aspects from it. So, but th- in a nutshell, this book helped me unders- helped me understand that the way people see the world <laughs> will always be different, mm. and you know it's it's hard to be objective about it. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Who's who? Who's it by? Hal Herzog. Have you ever read any else? Anything else from his books? I have not actually. Um, to be honest. Uh, because, uh, I mean, I, I don't read books by authors even though I really like them, you know? Mm. Like, for example, I like Malcolm Gladwell. I've not read all of his books. In fact, I don't think... I think I've only really read one, mm. you know, and that was Outliers. So, it's more like if the title inter- interests me, I'll just read that book. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the next one is... Um uh, the next one is The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, um, which you can always see in every single bookstore, in every single airport. <laughs> it's funny around. because it's like the most popular book, and yet for some reason I've never read it. I don't know why. Mm. I feel like, <laughs> and and you, I, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on it and what you gain from it, but at the same time, it's like the movie Snakes on a Plane. The entire synopsis is in the title. <laughs> The subtle art of not giving a fuck. Okay. <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> so I wouldn't read this book then. Right? Um, no, I'd say I'd say it's 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 definitely worth reading. Um because he does sort of discuss sort of what's what's really important in in in, in your life um and what's not important and and what, what things you should really pay attention to and and what you shouldn't. Um so I read this book like quite a while ago and I don't really remember a lot of the, 
the the really good actually like a really good like a lot of the really good wisdom that was coming out of the book but just the last chapter about death i think was the most interesting or it was just really res- death, you said yeah so it just really resonated with me the most um and sort of his um or at least my my, my recollection of, of, of what that was about was that you know we're, like we're not going to live forever um like eventually we're going to die and even though we try to 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 live forever we, we we try to do things to make us sort of exist forever such as having a legacy and through business or through your through, through having kids um having a, you know, a family or creating things that will last um we try to 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 make ourselves live forever but we actually don't um and so because of that we we really should sort of try to make the most of our time on this earth um and do as much as we can and not put things off, I suppose, thinking that we'll do things later um, when, you know, I- invariably we'll end up being busy with stuff that actually doesn't really matter. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I thought that just really resonated with me a lot. Um, and I always just sort of remember that um, when I'm sort of thinking about my next you know, big life decision, sort of I'm not really going to stick around for too long. What, what's really going to to matter to me. Do you you consciously think of it in, in your decisions, like even in the small ones? Um, well, not necessarily in the small ones, but I, I guess sometimes I do feel like some sort of like guilt when I'm not doing something I should be doing. Um, or when I'm sort of like in, um, if, if, if I'm, you know, right right now I'm thinking in in my career, should, should I be, is this really what I want to be doing for the rest of my life? Should I be taking a different direction um, or should I keep going? Um, um, yeah, I mean, like it's, 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 it's those kind of things sort of are not influenced by reading this book. But, you know, I'm not really going to live forever. I don't really have that much time left to pursue all the things that I really want to pursue. And so should I really make take take, take steps to to change my life? Um, it. Should I keep it the dance current trajectory, or should I sort of alter it to to something that would really satisfy me? And sort of, yeah, it's, 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 it's just really made me think a lot more. Um, yeah, that's that, that's interesting because um, I think I've almost had the opposite viewpoint. Even though, even though, like uh, in the premise of not giving a fuck, I probably have the same idea as you: not to waste time doing things. But what I take away from f- from from now making decisions regardless of other people's opinions or thoughts is also for me to stick it out for long enough so that I can also get the merits of even the worst situations, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like so I can be in a I can I can make a decision I can make a decision that I realize is probably not ideal for me. But then at the same time, my goal is also, at least now, to try and stick it out long enough so that I could benefit in some way. Because when you make a decision, sometimes sometimes if you think hard and long enough, there's something you can get from it. And then, you know, figure out what that what a realistic timeline is for you to to see that to fruition before you be like, all right, ciao, you know, mm. I'm leaving. Mm. So uh, that's 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 what I get from. Yeah, no, like like definitely, like I definitely agree with that. I think it's more of trying to combat procrastination. Like when you know you should be doing something, and you know you're not taking action, you're sort of putting things off. It's sort of like the antidote to procrastination is sort of remembering. <laughs> that you don't have that much time left to to do all the things that you want to do. Right. Um, so I think that's sort of like what, that's what I kind of got off from that book. So, so what's yeah. a what's a recent example of of where you subtly not gave a fuck? <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, um, I guess, I think going back to, conversation about sort of putting us about there in social situations um you know i mean i'm not usually the most 
sociable person to speak to strangers on the street or or whatever. But um, like I have made friends from people I've literally met on the street, um, and that wouldn't have happened if I if I did give a fuck, I suppose, yeah. or if I was just sort of um, just sort of in my own shell. So so yeah, I mean like. I guess it's probably a recent example of of you know making friends yeah through not giving a fuck I <laughs> yeah I mean it's a, it's a great philosophy it's really I think the older we get the more we realize you know the network the network you belong to and you know people use this example for success and all this but I mean if you take it down deeper I think people the your network helps you broaden your perspective on life, you know? And and the only way for you to get that broadened perspective is to make new friends and to meet new people and to and, and then realize that you never know who you who you'll be able to click with. Yeah. No, I, 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 absolutely. Um you know, every everyone has their own interests and in, in in sort of um um, communities that they belong to and, and you know making these kind of like random friends that opens you up to sort of to to to, to new experiences is yeah pretty pretty important to making your life more interesting gotcha alright my next book I quite like this one actually um, this is one of my favourites um, and it's also the book. I mean, I've only it's, I've only discovered it last year, so it's pretty recent. So it's almost towards the end of the decade that I discovered it, and I'm super thankful that I did. And it's now the the book that I either recommend the most or gift the most. Mm. Like that's how influential it was for me. And the title of the book is "The Mastery of Self: A Toltec Guide to Personal Freedom." Uh, the author is Miguel Ruiz Jr. So I didn't know about this book. I actually, I actually came to know Miguel uh, Ruiz Jr. from a podcast. I can't remember which podcast, and he was the guest. And you know, it's it's very hard to find someone who sounds so zen <laughs> in this in this like modern modern era. And I don't mean zen like you know like nothing phases him. Mm-hmm. But more like just like whatever he absorbs, you know, and what he he gives back out to the world is is amazing, you know. Like it's just the way he he understands life and in, in its simplicity and then he brings it back and explains it back to, to, to us. Like it's pretty amazing. So this book particularly is I mean, the whole the whole concept is basically is that um, in life we are all essentially living in a dream, and this dream is created by everyone's everyone's own personal dream, right? Like you have a dream for yourself, which is made up of your perceptions, your experiences, your judgment, everything, right? And then it forms that dream, and then there's my dream filled up with those exact same things, and together when we interact. It's a collective dream because we are, we are expressing our own thoughts and perceptions and all through our vision, i.e., the dream to each other, and then in the hopes that. No, but is 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 the dream a different? Is it different from having a dream, such as sleeping? Like like like, like a, yeah, like different. A yeah, yeah. Right. So. So it's like a conscious dream. So dream. I mean, dream is just a word he uses to describe it. So it's basically it's basically the lens in which you see the world. Mm. Right? Your reality. Yeah. Right. So but he but he calls it a dream because it's not a reality. It's an illusion essentially. Because mm-hmm. you've you formed it on your own. So very little of what you see is objective. Mm. Because you know, whether it's your past experiences, your judgment uh, the way you, the way you're brought up, nurture, nature, whatever, mm. they all form this illusion, right? So this is essentially the dream, and we are all fighting for that dream space. So he says, like, because of that, it's very hard for us to, you know, experience or or to practice unconditional love, right? Because our love becomes very conditional because 
of our dream. We, um, if people, uh, for lack of a better word, shit on our dreams, or if they, if they are not in sync with how we perceive the world should be based on our dreams, we'll be like, I don't quite like this guy, mm. you know. But in reality, we're all dreaming. <laughs> And we when when we don't when we react with when we interact with people we're not taking ourselves out of the dream and interacting with them objectively. So really, we're not actually interacting in a way that is that is actually human. And so the purpose of this book is to help you un- unveil parts of your of the dream that you created for yourself, so that you can interact with people in a more human way mm. that is based. In reality, not so much in the illusion that we create for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's a great book. It's so simple, you know. Like even a primary school kid can read it. I mean, intellectually, probably a primary school guy <laughs> wouldn't be able to understand it. But it's written in a way that even a primary school mm-hmm. kid will be able to read it. So, like for me, that's like the most influential book of the decade for me. And like it's something I always recommend to others whenever they say, "Do you have a book to recommend?" I'm like, "Yo, read this," you know. So it's my version of the secret. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 do you have any like examples of like when you sort of remembered the book in a in a particular situation and sort of apply apply that thinking? I think the the best part about the the book was how how it made me how it improved my relationship with my wife julia and i and i think um because like julia's love was is very unconditional for me like no matter what i what i do i mean of course he gets mad and I mean, you know and he, that italian fire <laughs> will destroy me sometimes but in terms of love, it's very unconditional. And like she gives it without expectation or judgment and stuff like that. And it's, uh, and it's something that, you know, it's, it's, it's rare to see, you know. And even when you see it, it's usually with your family members, right? You know, it's mm. like blood. You know, you're like, ah, oh, have to love this guy. Mm. But, you know, when it's relationships, you don't see that too often, you know. When you don't a lot of us have expectations of our partners and stuff like that because based on our dream and our illusion of what a partner should be, you know, that sometimes we forget that everyone's going through their own journey in life. So, like, when you love someone, it should be of what, of how you can be together as partners and not of as what they can do for you, mm-hmm. you know, and this idea of security or, 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 or whatever else, right? So, when you, when you, when you see what your partner can do for you, essentially it's not, it's conditional love. Um, because you're like, oh, well, if you don't meet those expectations, then listen, man, you f- I'll give you some time to work on it. If you don't, we'll call it quits. Uh, whereas with, with Julia, what I found was that I didn't get that. and I, But I didn't realize it until I read this book. And I was like, oh, so that's what unconditional love is. You mm-hmm. know? Even though it's, and easy, it's easy and easy enough concept to understand. I didn't understand it until I saw it in Julia, and that's when I realized I have conditional love for Julia, you know, and and not in like the superficial way, but more like, you know, like she must always see it my way kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so because of that, I started to practice more unconditional love and to accept that you know we are different people, and we have to. We have to um, respect that because everyone's on their own journey in life. Mm. Wow. Wow. Cool. It's a great book, man. I would definitely recommend it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Pete read it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he thoroughly enjoyed it, you know. But Pete, Pete is the master of self-help, you know. He's always looking to improve himself. So <laughs> you can literally recommend a bullshit book. <laughs> And say it's good for self-help and he'll read it. I mean, he'll kill you after, but, you know, he'll read it anyway. I'll, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll definitely pick up that book. Sounds like a, sounds interesting. Yeah, for sure. What's your, what's your third um, book? All right, the last one is um, a book I read recently. Um, it's called um, 
the spy who came in from the cold by John Le Carre. So it's it's it was written in 1963, and it's quite an old book, but it's 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 known as being sort of one of the best ever uh, spy novels um, ever written. Um, that's a that's a high accolade, especially mm. since spy novels <laughs> at least a hundred come out a year. Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like thriller is pretty much all spy stuff. Every time you go to a to, to a to a bookstore, so there's there, there's so much, but but this I think was the cause of the million spy novels available at the moment because it was it's just so it's just it's 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 really realistic and it was written sort of in reaction to the James Bond movies, or at least the very early ones, um, and the books as well because that one was pretty much very much um, action oriented. Um, saving the world, um, getting very, the girl at the end. Very little espionage. Very little, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. But whereas this was sort of like very Cold War, you know, your almost kind of like depressing stories about you know spying and and the the, the what people are actually going through, sort of as a spy and all that kind of stuff. Um, um, and, and 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 so the, the the book is is essentially a story of of um, it was set during the Cold War, just at the start of the Berlin Wall, or the building of the Berlin Wall, um, and there is this sort of British spy that is sent into East Germany um, to try and um, to try and um, what's it says is I'll I'll just read it out the a, a British agent is sent to East Germany as a fake defector to sow disinformation about a powerful East German intelligence officer. Um, and like, I, 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 I won't go too much into the, the, the actual story, but um, I guess just reading the, this book um, really helped set the scene for my actual trip to Germany, um, to Berlin, because the book is set in Berlin. Um, and Berlin... Was it's an, it's an incredible city. Like it is, it, it is really um, one of the best cities in the world at the moment in terms of, I think just in terms of culture. Like you know, it's just there's this energy about Berlin that is there uh, in reaction to the Cold War um, and the fall of the Berlin Wall, um, and that happened about thirty years ago, the the, the 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 fall of the Berlin Wall. But for some reason, um, it's when when you when when you when you go to Berlin, the 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 Cold War and the the Berlin Wall is just ever present. You can't escape. You can't escape um, thinking about it all the time. So the Berlin Wall has become the invisible wall. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It it, it it's it's still there. It's that they're all major tourist attractions. Um, but as a tourist, you just can't help but stop, but not stop thinking about it. Um. And even within Germany, there's still sort of this big debate about East Germany, West Germany, the Berlin Wall, and sort of how how the the two countries became one, and how they sort of have, and how the the, the, the they're now developing as one country, um, because it is it was really West West Germany was um, the West, you know, um, helped on by, by by the US, and and East Germany was a communist state, you know. Um, driven by by the USSR, so um, having one country split into two and then join back together, you know, there was just obviously a lot of tension in um, of of joining two people, two two peoples back together again, um, and yeah, I mean the, the the book for some reason just just helped me to um, set the scene or at least better understand the psychology of of a split country. And then going to a reunited country um, was 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 yeah it was super interesting. Isn't it interesting how? Uh, I mean, what you mentioned about you know the Berlin Wall and in East and West Germany, isn't it so interesting how national boundaries are formed? Like one day they just draw a line on a map and be like, if you cross it. I will literally kill you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> mm. and 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 the population, in almost in unison, will be like, "All right, yep, I guess we're," mm. and 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 it's so funny because like you, I mean, you read it 
and that's the beauty of like spy novels like that because like all these artificial lines and 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 um political views or and stuff like this causes so much struggle causes uh you know this kind of i know stories to unfold mm-hmm. and for me it's just it's just incredibly interesting because like all these things were, are literally created out of our minds <laughs> we're like one day we're like all right sorry west germany <laughs> east germany belongs to russia now and if anything happens we'll go to war mm. you know and th- it's literally created from someone's mind and it suddenly became becomes law and everyone agrees to it i don't know that stuff like this really both interests me and baffles me yeah yeah i mean like like uh, like another example of that is i think it's i can't remember if it's if it's sort of the borders between india and and china or maybe sort of in that area sort of like um central central asia where they literally draw drew boundaries with a pencil and a ruler across a map and and were like yeah this is the boundary between these these two countries and the people that sort of living in that whole area are just like yeah what what, what do you mean we have we, there are boundaries yeah but you know there was just some you know french general that was like i'm kind of like i have no time for this yeah. this is the border and that's it uh that line was just a KPI in his job scope. <laughs> he just want to get out of there. Yeah, yeah. He just want to get out of there and just drew the line and, and and yeah. And that's literally the worst place to draw a line. I mean, of all the Asian countries, China and India must be the two most stubborn countries in the world. <laughs> and they drew the line there. <laughs> really asking for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um I think yeah, and I th- I think just like colonialism is probably an, another topic for another time, but um colonial colonialism has sort of caused these sort of issues particularly in the middle east um of dividing people based on by by people who actually don't really know what's happening on the ground yeah um, but yeah that that's politics yeah that's politics in a nutshell you know <laughs> what i think is right is right yeah and we go from there and there's a million people who think they're right yeah um all right my final book um nothing to do with um is is more businessy it's a sprint um it's basically solving the the title of the book is called sprint solve big problems and test new ideas in just 5 days um um and it's by this guy named Jake Knapp who i guess is part of Google or Google Ventures or something like that yeah i mean he's one of those creative guys in these tech companies mm-hmm. um I picked up this book because I wanted to build things fast. For example, this podcast and you know my vision of Echo Academy and how I can uh, empower people to be mentally healthy and well um, in the workplace. So I wanted to build something quick, but I didn't want to build something quick, but um, in a way that was not quality. So I I knew like I had to like have some form of framework or reference to teach me to at least have some of, to to teach me to know what are the things that I should have to create a, a simple product i.e. this podcast that can actually be meaningful to people so I picked up this book turned out to be really useful I use it for literally everything now like how to solve big problems and test new ideas in just 5 days and i literally put it into practice on how i can get rid of my coke addiction and when i mean coke i mean coca cola just for, you know it's hard to get that coke for a second there like... <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> yeah cuz i'm I, like i'm really addicted to coca cola so i even use this book to see how i can like okay so 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 like like go through an example of how you sort of went through this process so <clears throat> I I I'm pretty sure this sprint book, you know, is 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 just some subset of like the agile or kanban methodology. So, I'm sure they are just stealing ideas, but they've refined it into a way that 
allows. I mean, I'm sure this book was meant for startups, not from some guy who trying to eliminate coke from his life. But uh, <laughs> but you know, it, it has it has regular applications too. But a good example was just how to how to define the problem in a way that's realistic, but in a way that allows you to put out a solution as fast as possible. And then once you define the, pr the problem, how to validate it based on the questions you ask people, who do you involve in that process so that you can come up with great ideas or highlight great problems with the solution that you're creating for yourself? And then how do you solve those problems that you didn't otherwise see and create that solution? And then on day five, test it, and then you rinse and repeat. So, yeah, I mean, when I first started Echo Academy, you know, like, um, I was like, oh, I'm going to build this app, you know, and then people are going to listen to, like, you know, uh, other people sharing their wealth of knowledge and experience around mental well-being. Um, and then, you know, it's going to be a platform so that people can learn about it. And then I realized, oh, well, that, that seems a bit far-fetched. And sure, it's a great goal to have in the future. But really, what can I do now to, to solve the same problem? And, you know, based on that, you know, I read, you know, people listen to podcasts, considered video. But then I realized video takes too much work, you know. And I don't really like to be on video also. So, so to highlight all these problems and then realize, like, audio is a great medium for me. And then to use it to to create a product ASAP by creating a podcast that immediately allows me to get my message of what it means to be, what it means to solve problems that may affect our mental well-being as soon as possible, uh, allow me to just launch this podcast. So, you know, I find this book really helpful and I think I would definitely recommend it for people who just love creating things. Mm -hmm. Um. <laughs> oh, very straightforward <laughs> I feel like I already know everything about this book already no but but it's, it's, yeah it does sound like a really interesting book to to apply to work because like I do a lot of like project work and we have worked in sort of like an agile way for our you know projects and developing solutions and things like that and actually I'll be interested to, to, to read this book just to apply it to to my work yeah, you should, man. I mean, and, and this book is great because it allows people from different disciplines to collaborate in a very organic and constructive way, you know, which is usually very hard, like in organizations, right? You know, everyone has their own KPIs. So usually they're like, uh, like, even though your same goal is to make money for the business, you're like, oh, no, but this one means I do more work <laughs> or something like that or some aspect of that. And then it becomes a... Like, who can do the most work and who gets the most credit without doing mm -hmm. as much work? Whereas this gives you a nice framework where everyone is very collaborative. So I right. I found this really helpful. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I would recommend it for, I mean, especially with the work you do, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've, never, I've never really got around to trying to understand the Agile. Even though I've sort of worked in that area, I've never really tried, tried to understand the or learned about the principles behind it. Um, how do you think it's different? Do you, do, you, do you know much about Agile? And, and I do. In fact, uh, in fact, one of the podcasts uh, that's coming up will be about Agile and right. how teams okay. can use it. Uh, I can't say I know a lot about it, but like I said, Sprint is just a subset of it. Mm. Because Agile, Agile, I would say, is, um, it's quite extensive in a sense that you know people are... Um, there's, it's it's more open-ended, you know, mm -hmm. Agile. It allows for more breathing room, whereas Sprint is more like, here's a structure. Um, everything happens within the confines of the structure because Agile is not a methodology, right? It's just a, it's just a way of thinking. So there's no, there's, it was intentionally made that way so that there's no boundaries, whether, whereas for Sprint, this book particularly, there's, there's boundaries and you work within those boundaries mm -hmm. so you can solve problems as fast as possible. Okay. Hmm. All right. I'll definitely check it out. Um, well, I mean, I guess since we're talking about books, have, have you even talked about your own book? <laughs> That's for another day. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. 
I guess not. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, I'd rather not talk about my book. This is uh, not. This is not the podcast <laughs> to toot my own horn, but to toot other horns. I guess <laughs> that sounded dirty. <laughs> TMI. TMI. <laughs> but anyway, are you ready for the the new year? Um, I am. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to to um. 2020, the new decade, the 20s. The roaring 20s. The roaring 20s. Yeah. Or the technological 20s. <laughs> <laughs> Automation 20s. <laughs> right. um, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to, to, yeah, just like a new generation. Um, not, not new generation. And just, 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 just a new decade of, of, of how things are going to change. Because you always think about this is the 80s. It was like well, it was sort of like the fashion and music was like this, and then the '90s was a certain way, and then the the 2000s was a certain way, and then sort of like the 2010s is that how you call it? Yeah. Like, like it kind of feels like, yeah, like what is actually going to change? Like, because things change so quickly. Yeah. Um, like, how, well, what's going to def? Well, what 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 even would define the 2010s? Like, how would you? You know what? You kind of brought up a good question, right? So in that sense, maybe the de- what will define the twenties or the twenty twenties is that it cannot be defined by a decade anymore. Mm. You know, so we define it by year by a year. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like it's it, it's it's like like I feel in this decade was was harder to pin down in terms of. Um, from from twenty ten to twenty nineteen, things were like in a certain way. Whereas, yeah. you could kind of feel that throughout all the other decades over the past fifty sixty years, or even just sort of the past century. But how's this? What's gonna define? Or what did define the past ten years? I feel, I feel like that's hard to. That's true. Um, I would. I would also venture that maybe it's also a, and not to be super pessimistic, but it might be, you know, when 2020s might be when the world starts to end. I'll give you a good example. There's a company in China, a tech company in China, that created a software, you know, doing like facial rec- recognition and all these, like basically Big Brother in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. And guess what the name of that software is called? What? Skynet. <laughs> uh, so oh my God. we better find Sarah Connor because <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> the world is ending and we're gonna be <laughs> taken over by robots. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Well, I wish you nothing but the best for the new decade, my friend. Thank you very much. Thanks for having having me on the show. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Us and our millions of viewers. <laughs> <laughs> All bots. <laughs> All right, bro. Happy New Year. Thanks.